Good day, world. Welcome to the Beers with Engineers podcast. I am your host, Bert Ushold, and this is episode number two. Today, I interviewed Jay Julian. Unlike last week's guest, Joe Parashek, who I have known for 30 years, I met Jay only about a year and a half ago. You'll hear in my introduction what it is about Jay that most impresses me, and I think as you listen, you'll appreciate that to some extent. Mentoring is a topic that comes up several times. We talk a bit about remote distributed teams, throw in a bit of motorcycle racing, search and rescue, and ice climbing, and we cover a good range of topics. Without further ado, let's get started. Okay, oops, I'm sorry. I do have a little more ado. Uh, exchanged a couple of emails with Jay the other day and found out that uh, he had said something that I totally misunderstood and went off on this rather silly sort of tangent. If you know what I'm talking about after you listen, you may enjoy a good laugh at my expense. Ha ha ha! If you don't know what uh, is happening, uh, my ego feels a little bit better. I will uh, confess in some future episode what happened. And now, hopefully, no more ado. If you remember and listen to episode one, Joe Parashek gave some advice and said engineers should remember that you usually get a second chance. That's kind of the development process of it. But So this is my second chance at this podcasting thing. And with my second chance, I'd like to kick it off by introducing you to Jay Julian. Jay, say hello. Hello. All right. So Jay is the owner and founder of Accelerate Design in Charlton, Massachusetts, which is a company that specializes in medical devices. In Massachusetts, specializing in medical devices is, doesn't really make you stand out very much, but uh, what does make Jay stand out is his company specializes in robotics and optics, so getting some pretty interesting stuff there. Uh, Jay is a Worcester Polytechnic Institute grad, and in the last podcast we covered various pronunciations of Worcester with my previous guest who was also from WPI, so I need to get a more diverse group of guests, so I'll start working on that, I promise. Uh, I met Jay a little over a year ago at an online networking event, and that ended up in me working for Jay for a few months late last year, early this year, and hopefully some more in the future. Uh, the first of two notable things I would like to say about Jay is he knows optics. You know, as the saying goes, he's probably forgotten more about optics than I know, and I think most of what I know I learned from Jay. So he's, a, he's the man as far as I'm concerned in that area. Uh, and the second thing about Jay that really struck me is I got to know him was actually his integrity. And integrity is a hard thing to pin down. You sort of just sense it in somebody. But as much as anyone I've met, and more than many, Jay really wants to do what is right for his customer, even if that means leaving a little bit of money on the table. Uh, He might be able to convince the customer that it was a good idea to do something, that he could make some money off. But if he doesn't think it's the right thing to do, he won't do it. And I think, I hope throughout this interview, you will be able to see that part of Jay and see what I mean. So I think we're off to a good start. Jay, why don't you take a minute or two, fill in any blanks that I left uh, egregiously open. Wow, thank you. Yeah, that was that was pretty good. Yeah, so for the last six years, I've been growing a consultancy through pandemic and other various challenges. And we do an awful lot of medical devices, as you said. A lot of people will uh, bring projects to me, even outside of the general medical device realm, into some sporting goods, into some wearables, um, even uh, beach chairs at one point in time, and pickleball rackets. But uh, our focus is really in 
the optical systems within medical devices are very often optical devices that are very much, uh, or medical devices that are very much optical in nature, have some other kind of photonic or biophotonic application to it. So that's kind of the, the niche that separates us a little bit from the rest of the medical device firms that are in the area. Mm-hmm. All right. That sounds good. All right. Since we are on beers with engineers, uh, one, are you having a beer? And if not, what kind or, well, are you having a beer? If so, what is it? If not, what beer would you like to be having? Sure. So I, I just got back from Nashville where we drank Jack Daniels for about four days straight. So I am not having a beer, especially at this time of the day, but it would probably be local. It would be like a tree house or, um, or a greater good or something or a Wachusett or something like that. Yeah. And actually I am not a beer drinker, but I host a podcast that's has beers in its name. But uh, for those who don't know, Treehouse is a small microbrewery. Well, actually <laughs> a large microbrewery right in Jay's hometown. And virtually all the people I know that are beer fans love that uh, Treehouse, And I'm going to have to get them as a sponsor maybe sometime. But uh, yeah, so it's handy to have them right in your backyard if you are a Treehouse fan. Great place for informal business meetings. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a big setup. There, uh, I went down there on a last year sometime to pick up some beer for a friend, and actually it's my brother. And yeah, that's uh, they got quite a setup. All right, let's move on. So, why did you become an engineer? It's probably in my DNA, and I'll but I give a lot of credit to that to a number of family members, but specifically my grandfather. He ended up he had. A quick one about him because I can tell you a number of stories that help kind of are very important to, to my story. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had his uh, his wife, my grandmother just gave birth to his fifth child um, and he quit his job because his side business of civil engineering was good enough for him to start his own land surveying and civil engineering firm. So to me, that was pretty remarkable story around the time I was having a first child is that, that he had the kind of uh, uh, gumption and confidence to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So starting your business, that's sort of following in your grandfather's footsteps a little bit. Well, he, he, um, well, it, it remains to be seen whether this portion of it will be uh, part of my business, but he, Trained, educated, and employed more than three generations of my family. Oh, um, and that was just a, a great thing, not only for everyone to be able to have that foundation, have that job, but the amount of time that I got to spend with my grandparents by having to go in the office and work with them every day was really, really a great thing. Oh, that's great. That's great. No, I, I was actually just talking to a friend the other day, and, you know, I think all my grandparents were dead when I was in my uh, mid twenties and you know, three of them when I was a teenager. So I got to know them a little bit, but I never really had an adult relationship with my grandparents. And I know a few people who had, it sounds like uh, you enjoyed that. And that's something I miss, but that is uh, the way life goes sometimes. How about speaking of starting businesses, what a little bit of the background of history, which led you to decide to start accelerate design, please. Um, I really like doing this kind of work and I'll go back, uh, about 15 to 17 years. 
when I was getting towards the end of my first real job in um, optics and optomechanical systems. And um, I was frustrated at times when projects we would take on I, that I was giving early guidance and management didn't want to listen to me. And uh, so in my naive youth, I said, you know what, I'm going to write a book because I think SPIE, one of the optics agencies, it, I could probably write a book a lot like one of the ones that they publish. And it was going to be on how to design an airspace grading based spectrometer and parameters and thought process on the design process that I thought that you should go through that I was trying to institute there at work. And I felt like I was being really unsuccessful. Okay. And I came across a quote by the physicist Fermi. And I don't remember the quote exactly, but he basically said, you can know everything about nothing or nothing about everything. And I really felt that if that was going to be the title of my book, I was probably knowing too much about too specific and too small of a topic. And so I expanded my horizons. I changed my job. I went out and got more into, it was, it was kind of an easy transition because I was employing and managing a lot of remote consultants at that time. Right. I moved over into the engineering consulting world um, and I was able to expand my, my, my bit quite a bit to um, now have over 15 years of experience with medical devices and uh, but also being more of a technologist and a generalist and and, and um, figuring out how your uh, your very cutting edge device or, or whatever your special sauce is going to be how do we productize that and and what can we follow in the marketplace to um, to make sure that you have a as mature of a product as you can when the, for the first generation. Right. Did you end up writing that book or even start writing the book? No, I think I had, uh, I probably had half the pages in my head and some of them were probably all part of some proprietary notebooks that, that I left there because they really belong to that business. When right, I left. right. Is that something you still hope to do in the future or that's not a very high priority at this point? Um, not that topic. Definitely okay. not that topic. All right. So that implies you might want to write a book on another topic. What might that topic be? I wouldn't rule it out, but um, that's not on my radar right now. Oh, all right. All right. Oh, good. Very good. All right. So I see uh, behind you on the wall, uh, I don't know, half dozen or so patent plaques. One of them interesting, one you're proud of, one you like especially, because I've got a bunch of patents and some of them are kind of like, eh, nothing to really write home about. And Others I'm more interested in. Do you have one that stands out? There's a, um, there is a multi-band um, spectrometer for ramen applications. It was ramen as is noodles. Yes, yes, the noodles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ramen, well, go. keep Ramon going. spectroscopy, and that was pretty good because I got you know. I got recognition for not being the optical engineer, but being the lead engineer on it. Okay. So. Oh, cool. You know, that is, reminds me, um, I was looking at just probably Instron's website. Instron makes a lot of measuring equipment for those who don't know. And they had all sorts of fixtures and attachments. And just out of curiosity, I pitched, uh, sorry, clicked on the food tab and, they had a couple of dozen, maybe more, different little fixtures for testing spaghetti and this, all, all sorts of other different things. You know, if you're 
if you're making food, you have quality control requirements and you got to test to make sure. So it, it's initially a little surprising, but when you think about it, it's rather obvious. If you're going to measure stuff. You got to have fixtures for measuring all sorts of things. All right. What is uh, one of you know, a proudest accomplishment? Maybe not the number one, but what comes to mind right away is something you're really proud of from your career. There's a lot of little wins. I'm not, not sure that I have um, professionally one giant or, okay. or, you know, best accomplishment. I guess I'm pretty proud of the relationships that I've developed over the years mm. uh, and some of the people that I've worked with. So, yeah, maybe not the most obvious answer, but I think that's what I would say is is working with uh, with interesting people. Yep, yep. Well, there's a... Uh, engineer I work with who his saying is his network is his most valuable resource. And, you know, like one of the reasons I started this podcast was it's fun. You know, I have a good network of people and some of them, you know, like, like Joe, who was my guest last week, I don't talk to him that often. So this gave me a chance to have a nice conversation with him. And you have known for a little over a year and a half. It kind of feels like I've known you longer, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, uh, we can decide on that at some other time, I suppose, but, yeah, relationships uh, are important. You know, I think uh, you know engineers get the bad rap of being, uh, you know, not cold and heartless, but kind of sticks in the mud. But uh, my experience, that's generally not the case. All right, is there a uh, a cool technology that you like that either you have used or you'd like to use someday? I mean, I guess you work with all sorts of optics, uh, lasers, probably some of that too as well. Once in a while, right? Yeah. Uh, OCT, um, which is optical coherence tomography, um, mm-hmm. that's really up and coming and interesting. And I know that that's going to find some more interesting applications. So that's pretty exciting. Um, at one time, I was uh, the hyperspectral guru. And um, I really think that there's some there's some challenging in those grading based spectrometers I was just talking about to be productized, maybe become solid state, um, and being able to deal with the data streams. Uh, But hyperspectral imaging is probably, I think, still um, underutilized in that rather than just looking at an image or looking at a scene or scanning a scene and seeing colors, but that you can actually see and plot the wavelength intensities and the radiometry of of the scene well enough to start to do chemical analysis. And then that gets really interesting with a lot of different things. And then you think beyond just the visible spectrum. And as you go into the NIR, which is for the more or less affordable, but if you went more into the traditional infrared, not as affordable yet, you're just you're doing loads of spectroscopy and i think that there's so much more information in every image that we see in real life than than even meets the eye i guess there's the fun <laughs> that's right exactly so is that i know that the astronomers you know they, they look at you know various planets and things in the far you know way off in the far out in the galaxy and they're somehow able to determine what chemicals and what other elements are there? Is that, are those related technologies? Do you know? That is spectrometry. 
They okay. are definitely hooking your spectrometer up to their to their telescope. The, the field isn't big enough, I believe, on those planets and stars that are so far away. Um, but looking, you know, down at our own planet and our own atmosphere, hyperspectral imaging can uh, is very much used for um, weather, where to put the gold mine. Can we find a mine that is camouflaged and hidden underneath the surface of, of shallow oceans? Um, so just a wealth of applications there for satellite-based hyperspectral. Mm-hmm. I think it was Carl Sagan, maybe not, but uh, my recollection is him or someone like that suggested that as part of the Apollo program, they get some good information and see what the Earth looks like from outside the Earth. You know, I imagine, I'm guessing they did that. And if they did that, you know, it probably helped them to calibrate their instruments to look at, you know, other planets within our solar system and outside the solar system. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. If you weren't an engineer, well, I think I know the answer because we've talked about this. What would you be? What would you want to be? Oh, wow. I didn't know we've talked about this. That's a pretty good question. I haven't had to sit down and think about that too much. Um, You know, uh, I certainly tried to uh, go into athletics um, and maybe if different chips fell different ways, maybe I would have gotten more of an opportunity. Yeah, I, I have quite a few martial arts, boxing, kickboxing accomplishments, and right. I, I purposefully avoided going professional because I wanted to. I thought it was going to be not- more notable to have some amateur, amateur designated uh, titles as opposed to being uh, just another bum of a professional. Right. But you know, maybe. Uh, a, an outdoor guide or a um or a professor or something into the mentoring roles okay well i can go two directions with that and i may go both of them but i'm going to start with the conversation i remember having with you in the past was about you wanted to work with race cars didn't you want to be a race car engineer or something like that that is definitely what moved me over from civil engineering and land surveying with my grandfather's business okay. I was uh, mostly racing ATVs in motocross and and uh, very much would have loved to have done that professionally. But it did. I, I didn't have all of the young sort of youth opportunities that most people who are successful, are more successful in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, in my 20s, when, you, when the seniors class of that starts at 24, you know, I started to look at some of those ages and say, you know, my daddy didn't do this. My granddaddy and my great granddaddy didn't do this. I'm probably not going to be a driver, right? but right. there's a lot of engineering in this racing stuff. So this would be awesome. So why don't I, why don't I switch over from civil over to mechanical engineering and engineer my way into race cars? Okay. Was that during, was it actually a change in major during college or was that at another point in your career? I was hedging my bets because I went to a two-year school before transferring over to WPI, okay. and that was a engineering and science degree, and so I could take both mechanical and civil classes because most of them working up to you know the latter points of, of your college career are the same. Okay. So the second direction I 
can take that comment and I'm going to go down there right now is the other thing we've talked about is you are a member of, was it the Massachusetts search and rescue or central mass search and rescue? Is that correct? Yeah. Central Massachusetts search and rescue. That's our legal organization name. Although we've, we've operated in every state in new England and would, would pretty much go wherever we can to, to help. Okay. So, I mean, that's not, I guess people, so you, you said a minute ago, you maybe want to be a, like an outdoor guide. So what you are doing now is helping people who did not have an outdoor guide. So they, for lack of a guide, they need you and you're non-guiding. Uh, you're a finder instead of a guider. Some of it is that. And the other thing is, um, you know, that our team is constantly training. And so uh, I'm on the board of directors on that team, which is largely the instructor pool that we play from. Uh, so, you know, typically once a month, I'm also instructing in sort of that outdoor guidesy sort of way. Okay. So it's, it's scratching that itch reasonably well. Yeah. I would say. All right. Let's see. We've talked about a little bit of non-engineering hobbies. Uh, any other ones you want to mention? Something that uh, you enjoy doing when you're not being an engineer? Sometimes my kids would say I like to torment them because I drag them out hiking <laughs> and camping and skiing and, um, and various <laughs> and sundries and those sorts of things. Right, right. Um, but a, a lot of martial arts uh, and, and kickboxing, I used to do a lot of rock and ice climbing. I'd like to like to kind of return oh. to be able to do okay. a little bit of that. I've done um, a little bit of rock. The ice climbing has taken it to a new level of danger. You certainly have to deal with a little more discomfort, the temperature That's true. and yep. the level yep. of gear and, you know, and other things. Um, I wouldn't actually say that one is sketchier than the other. Uh, all well, depends on how you follow through with that. Okay. I mean, wouldn't it would seem to me what you're climbing on is most much more likely to break if it's ice versus rock. Ice is really interesting. It can be plastic, elastic. It can be fragile. It can be picked out. Okay. And the wall that you're climbing on is talking to you the entire time. So at least you're getting feedback from it. Okay. Um, the rock, there's no real feedback. So yep. it's yep. not as often that the rock just crumbles under you, but it right. does happen. <laughs> and it really doesn't talk to you. At least ice gives you lots of warning signs. Gives you some warning signs. Maybe what I was remembering was a, a guy I heard who was an ice climber and, you know, he would talk of iceberg climbers as if they were absolutely freaking nuts. And, you know, maybe they are. Maybe they are. There's a nutty variety of every sort of climber and parachuter and mountain yeah, it, biker. And there's a nutty side to everything, yeah. really. Every group has their extremes and, yeah, they're... they're <laughs> Sometimes they're fun. Sometimes they're just just out there. All right. So I was spying on your LinkedIn uh, profile the other day and saw that you had a minor in philosophy. So I found that rather interesting. Why did you do that? And has it been of any use or interest to you since college? Use? I don't know. I've certainly uh, had some philosophical conversations with an awful lot of engineers, whether it be philosophical, cultural, or just sort of project related of, of where, where does a, a strategy become a philosophy and likewise. <laughs> the kind of um, things you talk about over a beer, right? 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I think the biggest, the biggest reason I probably did that was, um, theological and just to study more philosophy of religions. Okay. All right. Let's turn the tables or let's shift the direction back a little more towards engineering. As a more senior engineer, any tips that you would have for younger engineers? And I think I'll preface that a little bit before I, I'll take some of your thunder maybe, but um, when I was working with you last year, you had a fairly young engineer working with you. So I think you may have you know, good specific experience of advice and tips you might give to a young engineer that you were practicing within the last year or two. I had the opportunity to work with a, uh, with a number of young engineers that, that I had a lot of fun with making, you know, great relationships and, mm-hmm. and, uh, some of them have gone on to just like aim for the stars and where their careers are going. Right. I do have a couple canned answers for some of them. And one of them is to ride the conditions, Okay. you know, surf, surf the conditions. And, um, if the surf is up, go surfing. And if it's not, but it's, you know, sunny and cool, go hiking and, and, you know, just sort of check out what the conditions are. And, Cause I would say that the market and to a large extent, geography is going to drive a lot of what kind of projects or products are being funded during the, during the time that you're an engineer. Mm-hmm. So optics were neat, but, they weren't originally my passion. We just said that I wanted to engineer myself my way back into race cars. And I started with an internship at a, um, at an optics optical component manufacturer and it grew into a career. And the reason that it did was the conditions. And that was because of the, what became the dot-com bust, but the dot-com surge um, pre 2000, and the what was uh, help enabling all that was really the telecom. And so the telecom wave was something that I surfed quite a bit. Hmm. And that's what promoted me to learn a lot of optics and photonics. And it came to be uh, a special, you know, I, I gave some STEM talks at my kids' schools when they were younger. And I had lots of Harry Potter slides and saying, you, you want to be a wizard. You want to have something that you're magically with, you know, wizardful about. And that is kind of modern day wizardry. Mm -hmm. And so understanding how to work on really hard problems in optics, optomechanics, um, and really productizing optical systems. That's one of the ones that I tied on to. So I would say ride the conditions have a special specialty, but don't stop being a technologist or a generalist at the same time. Don't, don't get too pigeonholed. And that last one, I'll give a real quick one. Worked with this great guy who's a PhD of University of Southern Cal. And what he wrote, you know, what he did his doctorate papers on two years after he graduated you know, went from something that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and only worked in a lab down to something that was a couple hundred or a couple thousand dollars that was in the back of a catalog. Right. And uh, so if you if um, you end up too specialized in something like that, you could be commoditized very quickly. Right. Yeah. If that one thing goes away, you're in big trouble. 
Yes. What for, and this could go in many directions, but for a engineer coming out of college or just graduating from college, what do you think is the best type of company to work for? Big, small, medium? There's pros and cons to both, but. That is a really interesting question. The benefits of a small company are that you have an influence. Yep. And one of the disadvantages of a big company is you don't have an influence. Yep. The disadvantage of a small company is you're not necessarily learning the ropes of if you're, if you're, unless you're building one-off satellites and even then this kind of applies, you're trying to build product that is going to be mass manufactured and that needs to follow lots of procedures and paperwork and takes a whole village to be able to make that product. So when you're at a small company, that's, that's one of the challenges in, in mentoring people that I have is trying to give them a full appreciation for that. Mm-hmm. So it's probably good that you do a stint in a big company and, you know, see all of the paperwork and see all of the revision control and see all of what it takes to manufacture a regulated product. Right. Because uh, you do need that wisdom to be able to come back and be in an R&D team and be able to make good decisions that are not going to have downstream ramifications when, mm-hmm. when it gets transferred into those, those later stages of product development. Yeah. I think, I mean, I started at my first two or three companies were just huge companies, you know, multi-billion dollar, you know, fortune 50 or so. And I think one advantage of that is they take the time to train new engineers. There's all sorts of different training things that I went to. And, you know, I think that was good for the most part. And then I went to a company that was much smaller, you know, about you know, 30 people. And, you know, I was, you know, 10 or so years into my career at that time. But I saw that as, you know, potentially a very good thing for, for young engineers because, you know, especially the design firm, you got all sorts of things coming in every day. I mean, you might not get as much formal training as you would like, but you're going to get a lot of on-the-job training. And if you got a question, there's an engineer, you know, an arm's an arm's length away, at least if you're not face to or if you're face to face and not virtual, that you can just turn and you know they'll they'll help you out and answer it for you. All right. Is there a some sort of tool or product could be engineering related could be other from the past that you miss that's no longer available or no longer used it's no longer um accessible enough to to necessarily be worth it but one that came to mind was tk solver which is what tk solver did you ever encounter that one especially with all your tolerancing work yeah it doesn't ring any bells it was a very nice sort of spreadsheet oriented mathematical solver. I got to give credit to Professor Norton of WPI for, for he in, integrated it with sort of all, all of his books in, okay. in sort of design synthesis type situations. And it would, um, 
it would do, uh, if you make your own spreadsheet in Excel and you can use the goal seek function. Right. Right. But the whole program was kind of written around that to begin with. So you could put in the equations in almost any order that you needed that you knew were going to be there. And you could put in knowns for as many variables as you thought you knew and a couple of guesses and then said solve for the rest of them. And it was very good at doing it. We would kind of do a background Newtonian type interpolation if I understand it or remember okay. it correctly. Um, so I used to use that versions of that program quite a bit until it became not as it didn't completely do the newer Windows versions transitions. And what time frame was that? Mm, I probably was still farting around with a copy as of like 2008. Okay. But would go back, you know, maybe almost 10, 10 years on that, I think is when, yeah, so it was like 98, 99 that, that I picked that up at WPI. It sounds a little bit similar. I, for, I always forget the two and the differences. There's like MathCAD and MathLab. Like one of them, you just kind of would write formulas and it could do all sorts of clever things with it. Is it potentially, was it potentially replaced by those? It was more structured uh, and you didn't have to, um, you didn't have to really use sort of programming code as okay. much. Okay. Um, and then there were lots of examples for like beam formulas and stress calculations and things like that that were... Um, readily available to you so you were starting with a template most of the time okay well while we're walking down memory lane let's take another walk down memory lane what was your first or maybe worst or maybe most interesting job first jobs are often really fun to hear first job like ever all right what one of my if you lie to me i won't know jay (laughs) (laughs) um I was kind of, I was starting to be an engineer when I was 12. Well, that's a good start. Uh, because my um, my sisters are a few years, not a lot of years, but more than just a, a two-year two gap down to my sister's age. And uh, my father was a chef, and my grandfather helped invest in a restaurant. And we ran a family restaurant, and we lived upstairs from it. Mm-hmm. And I told you my grandfather was running a civil engineering firm. That was his day job. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, he babysat us. And it was he was mostly there for my sisters, so he would put me to work on a drafting board. And okay. he, he would have me drawing up septic systems. <laughs> All right. All right. That's kind of interesting. Is there something that you wish... We talked a little bit about uh, advice for new engineers. Is there something that senior engineers that just kind of irks you that, oh, I wish they would do X. What is X? Um, Mentoring would be a good thing Mm. to add into some places. I've been mentored by a few really talented engineers, but it's actually a a pretty small number. Um, There's probably only like, Maybe three people, I think, that, that really were going to help people uh, come up the ranks as, as opposed to just sort of the younger generation. They don't know anything and let's, you know, keep yeah. them at bay and not include them in the meetings sort of thing. We didn't know anything 20 years ago or 30 years ago either. 
Exactly. So. Exactly. And every generation is going to look at problems completely differently. Right. Um, right. You know, I, I thought that uh, computer analysis was going to be all that picked up all those, those uh, courses in school did got loads of textbooks behind me about how to solve, you know, matrix algebra to do finite element analysis with a pencil and paper and it's virtually an obsolete skill. <laughs> so, you know, there's, yeah. as new tools and new ways of looking at things are going to come about, the next generation is going to solve problems differently. Um, don't get stuck in the generational divide and, and right. look to bring bring everyone together because the senior engineers have made a lot of mistakes. So they have a lot to offer. Yep, yep. <laughs> But, you know, a new perspective is also important. So figure out how to work together. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a, a humble person, you'll look at that junior person who, you know, they got their finger on some of these new technologies that maybe you don't have yet and say, hey, you know, we'll help each other out uh, moving forward. Is there something you wish you had done differently in your career? Um. Not particularly. I think I did. I think it all turned out okay. Uh, a little bit of a Forrest Gump feather floating on the wind, but a lot of things just kind of came into alignment the way that they probably were always going to. Okay. Um, so sounds like you didn't have a 15-year plan set down when you graduated from college. And just sort of, no, def- definitely not. What, what, what was the, uh, the phrase you used earlier? Follow the the culture, the environment. What was it? Ride the conditions. Ride the surf, conditions. Surf the conditions. So you surf the conditions, and uh, it worked out. And yeah, I I would say that largely applies to to my career as well. Do you have a favorite engineering related book? <laughs> and you can be as broad with engineering related as you choose. I'll be, uh, yeah. So my first one would probably be Zen. And the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert Persick. Okay. And I hope that that one does not get too generationally old that someone would would still pick it up. Mm Because I know it's harder to relate to stories when there's no cell phone in the story because, you know, (laughs) they haven't been around forever or something. Right, right. But I think this – and so I would touch the philosophy back and forth on that one. And then I have a piece of fiction – that uh, I read recently that was pretty cool. So um, by Christopher Bates, um, who's a related martial arts friend of mine. And he wrote a book called, oh shoot, Beyond the Water Margin. Uh, Rise of the Water Margin. I'm glad I did take a note on that. Rise (laughs) of the Water Margin. And, um, I think it's an interesting read for engineers and um, it's fictional and it's entertaining and it is ultimately about um, negotiating. Hmm. He is a big negotiation strategist. So it's kind of an interesting one. And um, so I'll give another little thing in there to tie this back to engineering he says in the book, I'm not versed in this, so this may be fictional or maybe partially true. It says if you take a a uh, 
you know, a semiconductor processor, and you think of how many nodes are in it, that it is uh, no one engineer can sit down and design that just like no one engineer can sit down and design every floor of a skyscraper. You need, you know, it would take a lifetime to do all the drawings. Right. So it takes a, uh, you know, a multitude of engineers to do the skyscraper, but at least in the book, this may be true in, in real life already. It makes sense um, that a lot of that is automated in the code, whether you call it AI or not, it's, it's automated in the code. Um, and that was, that was like, duh. Yeah. Why didn't I know that? And um, I'm looking forward to um, when AI, as we see in BARD and chat GPT and these sorts of things, I am really looking forward to that kind of functionality within mechanical CAD. Okay. We do an awful lot of clicking and keystroking to get every single variable in that database correct. Right. And I, I wish that we could spend more time contemplating the mechanical architecture. Mm-hmm. Should that be a three bolt flange? Should it be a four bolt flange? Should it be a five bolt flange? And that should be something that could go much closer to the speed that our brain can envision these, that we could get visual feedback off of a mechanical CAD screen. Yep. I think that that, that is going to be a lot more uh, exciting than the number of click-throughs that we have to do right now. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I remember you know, some uh, CAD salesman was selling us their CAD system 20-some years ago. And you know, I think you rightly pointed out that you know, it's still most of your time is not the clicks and the implementing of the ideas. It is figuring out the ideas. You know, we used to joke that we wanted a, a line on our time card that said sitting, spinning the model and looking at it and staring at it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, somebody walks up to you and says, well, you goof around. No, I'm thinking, I'm staring, I'm trying to figure stuff out. And, you know, I've been using CAD for, it's pushing 40 years now, I think. And I'm not sure that ratio has changed a whole lot. You can do an awful lot more. But then that requires you to do an awful lot more. You can get much more complex, but complexity requires more inputs to uh, define it and control it. Yeah, getting the uh, the CAD and your brain on the same wavelength, so you can just think, uh, I need this rib this size, and boom, it's in there. Uh, that'll be nice when that happens. Can't wait. Can't wait. I fear I'll be retired before it happens, though. All right, so in the uh, this post-COVID world of ours, where working from home is a much, much more common and typical thing, uh, you, as I know, are working from home, but a slightly different way. Uh, you actually have an office, and occasionally you have uh, employees or contractors such as myself uh, camping out next door. Did you work from home much before you started your business, or was that when you started doing it? Um. I didn't work from home a lot, but here's the here's the backstory on that is that, um, again, uh, book writing is probably not on my radar right now. But I have joked with many people through the years that I was going to write a book about managing remote teams. <laughs> so back in 2001, um, I was working on a project where we would 
begin with an 11-step process to make an optical component in Fitchburg, Mass. We'd ship it to Santa Rosa, California, who would ship it to Santa Clara, California, who would ship it to Singapore, and then it would come back to Fitchburg for final test and packaging. And the senior engineer said, man, you're going to get a lot of frequent flyer miles. <laughs> and then 9-11 happened. And the tools that we have now for the pandemic, which we probably have too many tools, um, hmm. but that's kind of another subject. Um, there's too much competition for them. So there's, there's, right. you know, there's too many. The tools weren't there. And you had to figure out how you were going to communicate these concepts, such as pre-publishing a PowerPoint, which was almost a new program in some ways. Um, we, I was not indoctrined with PowerPoint in college, but just a few years out of college, I felt like if you didn't say it with PowerPoint, no one was listening, so save your breath. Yeah, right. You had to pre-publish this stuff with PowerPoint and say, okay, go to page three and look in the upper left for the blue box. And we're thinking blah, 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 um, you know, all over, all over speaker phones. And um, so in some ways, not all, we haven't evolved all that much, but um, as just a person and a communicator, I think those are kind of the keys. And, and so, when you're working with multidisciplinary teams, I don't think that the engineers on the project should be limited by the geography of who wants to commute through Waltham um, or, or who wants to be able to get to Cambridge um, on a, on a day-to-day basis. And you can very successfully work as a distributed team. And, and that's where the use of a lot of independent consultants is very good. The, the best optical engineers that I have worked with have actually all been independent consultants that have kind of dropped out of their corporate world because they aren't for a variety of reasons. But I think one of them is that they end up being one of the smartest guys on the block. So they try to promote them to management, but that's not Mm -hmm. really what they want to do. Uh, And so they end up in, in sort of an independent consultant role. And, um, we, we put together a lot of good projects with distributed teams that don't have these geographical boundaries mm-hmm. of the office. All right. Let me kind of tie two things together. So you, you seem to be somewhat pro or at least non against uh, remote distributed teams. Would that be a correct statement? I am not against remote distributed teams at all. I, I can point out, I'll let you ask your question. I can point out a couple of real issues that you have to figure out how to overcome. And I don't have answers for all of them. Yeah. And one of those issues, and I'll let you ponder for a moment or two, and you may not have an answer yet, and you may have already pondered it. But we talked earlier about young engineers and needing you know mentorship, you know, whether it's a formal mentor or just you know the two or three people sitting around you. And you know, having a remote system is difficult for a new engineer. And my, my last job, we had, you know, a guy who started, I don't know, it was right before, right after the pandemic, I forget exactly, but he was remote in Detroit, you know, he was fairly young and it don't, didn't really work well. Um, I don't know, what are your thoughts? Some people are cut out for it and some people should never, ever do it. Some people, it's just not the right, the right mix. 
Okay. Um, so not so everything can't be remote and distributed teams because not every professional can work that way. Sure, sure. I've worked with with brilliant engineers with uh, adult ADD. I've worked with brilliant engineers, several brilliant engineers with dyslexia. Right. And communicating without being in person can be very difficult for that. Mm-hmm. So you have to bridge that gap. So it can't be yeah. entirely remote. You right. have to, you know, overcome some of those things. But there are some people that just probably aren't cut out for it if they're not, don't have the right discipline, right? During right. the pandemic, yep. we sent, the, my kids were sent home from school and they said, you know, that same box you play Minecraft on, <laughs> I would like you to do schoolwork now and never click the Minecraft button when you're bored. Mm-hmm. It, so it's, it's not for everybody. And yeah. then, you know, some of the newer challenges that are coming up are that um, the, the, the younger generation engineers right now, they, they just had their college disrupted. And they also, the way you work on a college campus, a lot of people would actually like to prolong that into their career. And they work when they want to work. They work when they're inspired. They can schedule throughout the day. Um, that doesn't necessarily fit into a you must com- uh, commute and we want you to sit in an, in an hour of traffic every morning and every evening. And where they're kind of thinking, why can't I do you know other things? And so I think we also need to, to listen to that and respond to it when we can. It doesn't apply to every, every career. Right. The other challenge that we have kind of tying back to the Minecraft thing is that I've also encountered some of those people that say, well, why can't I be on a skiing vacation and just do one Zoom call, you know, and call that a day's work at the same time? Like, because it's a lot like when I was on college campus. And yeah. so there's there's some give and take, I think, that has to happen and all that. But the, the workplace it, it ha- is changing and is going to change because the pandemic yeah. let pandora out of the box for many industries yeah yeah absolutely absolutely all right i have uh, two more questions the first is kind of a new thing i'm starting episode two i'm already making changes i haven't got a good name for it yet so far it's the mystery question or the raffle question so i have 10 questions here and i'm going to tell you to give me a number from one to ten and that's the question i'm going to ask you six six all right, this is one of my favorites. What is the most isolated you have been from any other human being? So you were alone, and the nearest person was how far away? One mile, two miles, 20 miles? It's almost an easy question because uh, I did do uh, tandem skydiving. And I'd say that's the first time that I've been a mile, at least a mile, in every direction in space from anything else. But I had a person on my back, so right. it doesn't quite. That, quite that was pretty. He question. was pretty close. <laughs> it almost qualifies, but not quite. I can't. I can't really give you the distance, but you know, um, adding lights to your mountain bike means that the cycling season doesn't end when the daylight disappears. Oh, there you go. Sure. And so, when you can solo mountain bike in the woods in the cold, confidently. That's pretty cool. You are kind of alone. You can stop and shut the lights off for a minute and things can get real quiet. Sure, sure. I've also done a a bit of mountaineering and 
have not always had partners. So I have okay. done a bit of not, not climbing. I don't do that sick stuff, but um, mountaineering solo where you can be pretty darn alone. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. And uh, hopefully you're not requiring the services of the central mass or whichever organization <laughs> search and rescue team. And if you do, you can grade have their work. Beacon. Just <laughs> have some communication and make sure they know, they're going to know where you are. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay, and my last question, or maybe second to last question. Do you have an engineering-related joke for us? Oh, geez, I almost had one uh, canned, and now I can't remember it. Um, the civil engineer is not known for being funny, you know, but just because it's a rock, don't take it for granted. All right. Ah, <laughs> there you go. All right. But I'm you, saying you may not know point. schist about a stone. <laughs> I've, uh, who was it? Uh, one friend of mine who was a climber had a, um, said rock climbing is nice. The G N E I S S. I got the type of rock as well. Yep. All right. And any last, uh, thoughts, comments, I guess maybe I'll call this my soapbox question. Anything else that's on your chest? I just have this great need to get off of it and share with the world of 47, uh, listeners that I have so far. I don't know. Can I ask you a question? You may, you may. What would you have done different in your career? Is there anything you is there anything you would have done different in your career? Uh, I think, we haven't had enough beers together, so I've never asked. Right? You no, that. no, no. Um, I've tried to have answers to my questions in case anyone threw one back at me, and I think my my best answer for that one right now is maybe having a more formal mentor. You know, there's lots of guys that I learned from, but I think it would have been helpful to have someone, you know, 10, 15, 20 years senior that we had a, a slightly more formal relationship with that, you know, he'd have been retired for 10 years by now, but, uh, yeah, I think that would have been good. And, you know, your talk earlier of needing more mentors, uh, you know, I felt little pangs of guilt, uh, running up my spine that, uh, that may be something that I should, uh, reach out more and do, uh, additionally. I have not worked for too many employers that promoted it or gave an allowance for it. And, it, uh, and so that's, that's the note that I take now as a company owner myself. That's yeah. something that I want to remember. All right. Well, I think that is not a bad place to end it all. Jay, this has been fun. I appreciate you taking your time out on this. Uh, you know, we here. It's a beautiful afternoon right now. Not too many days like this in October in Massachusetts. But uh, appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we will talk again soon. Great, Bert. And uh, if anyone would ever like to talk to me professionally, uh, you can find me through, if you're like me, you don't want extra keystrokes, accelerate.design is all you have to write in your web browser. All right. Um, but for people who insist on typing out .com, accelerate-design.com. All right, very good. And I will put links in the show notes. Very good. Jay, thanks. Appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much, Bert. You too. That does it for today's episode of the Beers with Engineers podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You know how this drill goes. Please like, subscribe, and spread the word. If you're listening, chances are you're an engineer. If you're an engineer, chances are you've been in a design review and are used to providing feedback. So, from one engineer to another, I'd like to hear what you liked and didn't like, and how it could be better. If you're not an engineer, 
be happy you have never been in a design review, but your comments are welcome too. Thanks, and please listen to our next episode when it releases.